Welcome to Australia's Future with Tony Abbott. I'm Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs. Australia is facing its most significant challenges since World War II. Geopolitical tensions are increasing. Cultural self-confidence is in decline. The values which define us, freedom, democracy, egalitarianism and sacrifice are being put to the test. Over this special podcast series, Tony and I discuss how Australia can survive and flourish in the decades ahead. Hello, Tony, and g'day to all of our listeners, and welcome to a special episode of Australia's Future with uh, Tony Abbott, dedicated to the achievements and legacy and memory of uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, II. Uh, Queen Elizabeth's reign of 70 years and 214 days, the longest of any uh, British monarch, a remarkable period of rule, of uh, stability, uh, and of uh, public service. Uh, whilst um, we all knew that Queen Elizabeth was in ill health, uh, nonetheless, the news of her passing uh, came as a, a shock and a surprise, and we've seen an outpouring of mourning uh, of billions around the world uh, since. Uh, Tony, I can think of no better person uh, than yourself to uh, share your thoughts and reflections on Queen Elizabeth's legacy and her achievements and, and what it means for the future of the monarchy and, and the future of Australia. So, Tony... Maybe we'll start by you uh, sharing your thoughts and observations on on her rule. Thanks, Dan. And look, it's wonderful to be with you and with our listeners. Um, Back on her 21st birthday, uh, the then Princess Elizabeth, in a broadcast from South Africa, said that my whole life, be it long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family, to which we all belong. Well, a lot's changed since then, uh, and the empire has become a commonwealth, but every single day, uh, Queen Elizabeth was true to that remarkable pledge. It's been an amazing life of duty and service. Uh, Britain, Australia, Canada, PNG, New Zealand, all her realms and the wider commonwealth and the wider world have been lucky to have her because of the extraordinary exemplar she became uh, of of duty, of honour, of commitment, of dedication. We don't see enough of these values in the modern world and through good times and bad, she exemplified them and probably one of the most remarkable lives of all time. No, Tony, well well put. I certainly think it was one of the most remarkable uh, lives that we've uh, witnessed and, and had the opportunity to be a part of. And I think you make an important point that a lot of the virtues that she exemplified and lived out uh, in our modern era are often missing. It's an era often of you know innovation and ceaseless change for change's sake. Uh, but the Queen was a an individual, but also a uh, an exemplar and a, and a figurehead of of stability and of permanence in a, in a world of of constant change. Do you think it's that permanence that is one of the foundations as to why so many have felt a a personal um, sense of grief? Why, what to what do you attribute the the outpouring of mourning that we've seen? Well, Dan, there are very few people alive today who haven't grown up and. If, uh, if they're older, got old uh, mm. with Queen Elizabeth as a, a kind of a presence in, in their lives. Um, this is one of the beauties of a monarchical system of government. Uh, 
uh, the monarch is there for life, not just for three or four or five or 10 years. The monarch is there for life. And that gives all of the people in association with the monarch a chance to develop a familiarity and a connectedness. And, and that's not present in different systems of government where mm. presidents and prime ministers come and go. One of the other great features of this particular system of government is its certainty. Yes. Uh, every one of those 70 years, we knew that when the Queen did eventually pass on, uh, the replacement would be Prince Charles, now King Charles. Uh, so mm. um, we went to bed, as it were, on Thursday uh, with Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth uh, as our sovereign, and we woke up on Friday with His Majesty King Charles as our sovereign. And I guess uh, if we were so inclined, we could have said uh, the ancient cry, the Queen is dead, long live the King, uh, mm. because that's what our system enables it to do. And while the last thing I want to do is engage in uh, partisan debate over uh, what may or may not become an issue in the future, I do think it's important at a time like this to acknowledge the great strengths of the system that we've got. The other point that I think is worth making, Dan, is that while almost universally uh, the tributes have flowed to Queen Elizabeth for her personal strengths and her wonderful works, the person and the office are mm. really indistinguishable. Uh, someone like Queen Elizabeth could really only come to the fore in a, in a monarchical system because she wasn't the kind of thrusting personality. She didn't have uh, the kind of, I suppose, impatient drive to succeed uh, that normally marks uh, a politician. Uh, and and um, so really, if, if we had a different system, we wouldn't get someone like that. Uh, we'd get a very different type of person. I think it's important to remember that. Mm. I guess the other point to make is that uh, here in Australia, our system is, if you like, a derivative uh, of the crown in Britain because here in Australia, our crown is represented by the Governor-General and by the state governors. And mm -hmm. these are uh, the representatives of the crown appointed like a judge as opposed to uh, people selected by the parliament uh, or by the voters um, in the same way that a politician might be. So, so um, the nature of our viceroys uh, is different thanks to the crown. Uh, if we had presidents... Uh, picked by the parliament or elected by the people, again, you would get rather different personalities uh, than you do uh, in the retired generals, retired judges, uh, mm. retired academics that typically have become governors and governors general. So um, I think this has been a period which has exemplified some of the features of our system, which I hope people who might have been inclined to change it will reflect upon. I was listening to some people last night 
on Sky, uh, Mark Latham, for instance, uh, mm. uh, Graham Richardson, for instance, both of whom really paid lovely tributes to Her Majesty and both of whom uh, acknowledged the great strengths of our existing system. Both of them nevertheless felt the need to declare their continuing uh, Republican instincts. And look, that's fair enough. People are allowed uh, to be whatever they want to be in a society such as ours. But but, but I, I, I do think we've seen our system at its best, uh, a long, selfless and altruistic reign, uh, a seamless transition, and already a King Charles showing a side of us that we might not have expected. For instance, in his first speech as King, mm. he made the point that he was scrupulously uh, intending to observe all of the constitutional conventions. And given that uh, in his time as Prince of Wales, he was quite an activist heir, I think that's a, that's a bit of a change of, of pace, if you like, from, from our new king. And to me, it's probably a welcome change of pace. But I guess this was someone who, in a very long apprenticeship, might have occasionally chafed mm-hmm. uh, under the restrictions but now that he has finally entered into his inheritance in every sense, I think he's, we're going to see uh, a king of absolute constitutional correctness and propriety. Mm, no, well put, Tony. There's a couple of points that I want to pick up on. I might start with the, some of the observations you made about the Republican versus monarchy debate, and it reminds me of uh, Nick Cater's article today in The Australian, which I thought was a very um, good article, Nick Cater being the head of the Menzies uh, Research Centre. And I just want to put to you a quote by Nick uh, and then get your reactions to that. Uh, So what uh, Nick here is talking um, about Adam Bant and and his push for the Republic, but he makes a broader point and I'll, I'll quote you here. The Republicans of the 1980s and 1990s were driven by a sense of pride in a nation overflowing with confidence. The new Republican sentiment, on the other hand, is driven by shame. It aims not just to separate us from Britain, but from our own history, end quote. Tony, I reckon that's a pretty fair and astute observation by by Nick Cater. I've never considered myself a a Republican, but uh, never felt that they were sort of anti-Australian in any way. I think they just had a different concept of what was good for the nation. But now perhaps those on more of the activist side of the Republican movement are driven by um, a sense of shame and, and and a lack of confidence in our own nation, our history and our culture. So I think it's taken a, a negative turn over the last decade or so in the, in the Republican movement. What's your assessment of the current state of the Republican movement and the sentiment that drives it? There's no doubt that some of the wildest statements over the last few days uh, appear to have come from people who are very ambivalent, to put it mildly, about our future. Uh, All this talk that we heard from a Green Senator some months ago about refusing to swear allegiance to the colonialist Queen, etc. That that does seem to be the motivation behind some of these, um, I think, slightly tasteless observations. Mm. Uh, But I, I wouldn't be quite as generous as Nick was to the Republicans of the 1980s and the 1990s Mm. Uh, sure, their pitch was uh, a mature, self-confident nation uh, doesn't need to hold on to the apron strings of Britain 
uh, doesn't need to keep the crown. And, and there's a sense in which, of course, we don't need to. Um, we don't need the crown. We embrace the crown because it is actually the best possible system of government. Uh, uh, history and tradition um, and the evolutions of history and tradition have given us a system of government which I believe works much better in practice than anything which the best contemporary brains would be able to devise from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, the great thing about a monarchy is that at the apex of our system, whether it's the Queen or the Governor-General, is someone who is above and beyond politics. And the Governor-General, as I was saying earlier, is a rather different kind of person by virtue of the fact that he or she represents the Queen and is picked like a judge than would be the case if he or she was supposed to be the embodiment of the people, as it were, uh, and was picked by the parliament or by the people uh, in the way a politician might be. So, so look, um, uh, my problem with, uh, with republicanism uh, now and then is that, uh, A, it was, in my opinion, uh, likely to give us an inferior system of government, mm. but, B, it was likely to, to, to leave us a slightly diminished nation because this argument that we won't really be independent, won't really be, in, won't really be mature, won't really be fully free until we've uh, gotten rid of the crown suggests that the Australia of today uh, and the Australia that we've been over the last 50 or 100 years is in some way inadequate or incomplete. And I, I just don't buy that. Um, Australia has been uh, legally independent mm. in every sense since the Statute of Westminster in the 1930s and the Australia Act of 1986 uh, severed the last formal uh, links between the British Parliament uh, and the Australian Constitution. It repatriated the British Act, which enshrined the Australian Constitution. And I don't think anyone would say uh, that the Anzacs that stormed ashore at Gallipoli were confused about their identity or the diggers who slogged up and down the Kokoda track were confused about their identity uh, or the wonderful sporting uh, personalities and champions who've represented Australia uh, over the decades have been confused about who they were and what country they were representing. Mm. Um, in every field, uh, in the academe, uh, in culture, in the arts, uh, in science, uh, in public life, in every field, Australians have been proud and self-confident patriots for as long as any of us can remember. Uh, and the fact that we have a heritage derived from Britain and we still maintain uh, the wonderful institution of the Crown here in Australia in our own way, I think is, is a great strength, not a weakness or a flaw or a sign of some kind of national adolescence. Yeah, and just to, to build on your observation about the, uh, the superiority of our system as against the Republican model, I mean, if you can look at sort of Latin America, for example, many of those countries are almost ungovernable uh, republics. Um, the United States in its own way, which is a marvellous, you know, successful nation, has 
uh, so many challenges, I would argue, owing to its Republican model. And um, I think the the issue is that, and, and Peter Hitchens made this argument in his most recent column in the Mail on Sunday, the UK paper, that um, one of the virtues of a, a constitutional monarchy is that everybody knows where ultimate power lies. Mm. So the, the Queen may not exercise, so the, the Queen or King may not exercise that power very often, but that's because they don't have to, because everybody knows where power lies and, and where the ultimate decision can be made. Whereas in a Republican model, and we can see this in the United States with the behaviour of various governmental agencies, it's very opaque as to where the ultimate authority lies. Um, I think that's an underrated virtue of a of a constitutional uh, monarchy that actually provides a hidden source of stability that you only you only get a sense of that when it's gone. Um, mm. Any anything you'd like to add to that observation? Yeah. Well, there's no doubt, Dan, that. Um the crown is a, a symbol of unity and of continuity. Uh, and it's, I suppose, a source of authority rather than an actual centre of power. Uh, for instance, uh, the, the, the monarch uh, is a commander-in-chief who does not command, uh, is a head of state who does not rule, uh, but because the monarch's there, uh, there is something which is denied to the politicians, uh, and and I think that's that's undeniably a good thing. There is a source of authority, there is a focus of loyalty, there is a symbol of unity which is not political, and I think that's incredibly important. And that's why I say we would lose something significant, something almost sacred, were we to change our system of government. Um, Dan Hannan, uh, who is well known to IPA supporters, uh, he, he made an excellent point in his article over the weekend in the London Telegraph. He said, uh, we're not just physical bodies, uh, we are spiritual bodies. I think he might have been quoting C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual side of us needs nourishment as well as the physical side of us. And the ceremony, the ritual, and we've seen a lot of ceremony and ritual over the last few days, Um, you know, the ancient traditions of the Accession Council and the proclamation and so on, and we're going to see more of it in coming days with the Queen's final journey um, to lie in state in Westminster Hall and then the funeral uh, next Monday in, in the Abbey. Um, Mm. This ritual and tradition and ceremony speaks to a part of us which is not often acknowledged in the modern world. I mean, we're very cerebral, if you like. We're very utilitarian in the Mm. modern world. And yet there is is much to be said uh, for all of these ancient ways and and, and long-cherished customs. uh, this is, again, part of the magic of the monarchy, which is underappreciated but no less real for that. Uh, Tony, you mentioned the the rituals uh, that have been taking place and I'm, I'm sort of hesitant to ask you to opine on on sort of day-to-day politics. So I'll, I'll, offer, you, I'll offer you my opinion mm. and then uh, feel, feel free to chime in. But I've got to say I've, I've found it a little bit off-putting to see, you know, those who have been the fiercest proponents of 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 the Republic and Paul Keating and as an example, Malcolm Turnbull, many, many others who are uh, making these, 
you know, fairly grandiose statements about the Queen and how much they admired her and so forth. I mean, I've got to say, I don't believe it for one minute. It, I find it very galling that they're making these these statements, and I think it's uh, you know, a part of a a, a broader um, strategy to divorce the Queen from the Crown. And this goes back to your point: they want the the sympathy to lie with the Queen um, rather than for the public sympathies to lie with the office. Mm-hmm. That the queen that the queen held, um, so that's my that's my little rant about it. I've just found it very off-putting. But I'm just interested. How have you sort of uh, assessed the the tenor with which the, the fiercest proponents of republican government have have approached the current situation? Do you see this as just another example of politicking on their behalf, or or do you think it's genuine? Uh, look, that's a, a, a good question, Dan. Uh, I think it was to Malcolm Turnbull's credit that uh, he was clearly moved by the Queen's death and I thought it was actually a rather lovely statement from Paul Keating when I read it. Uh, I think it's to their credit uh, that whatever they think about the system, they can still respect and admire the individual who is at the apex of the system. Mm. But, But my point, Dan, is that the Queen would not have been able to do what she did and would not have been able to be what she was Mm. but for the system. I don't believe that you can separate the office from the office holder. Uh, And and I I would really hope that a lot of instinctive Republicans might reflect uh, over these days on the coexistence of respect for the Queen with dislike for the office and ask themselves this question, um, maybe we should rethink the office given that Mm. the office holder would not have been able to achieve all that she did and would not have been able to be all that she was but for the office itself. So, uh, I mean, I was talking to a very close friend of mine uh, over the weekend, who has always been, if you like, an emotional Republican. I guess uh, he sees himself as from Irish stock and likes to say he's a Fenian and all the rest of it, therefore he has to be a Republican. And he was saying, well, I'm actually not so sure. (laughs) It really Mm -hmm. is a good system of government. And good on him for being able to say, well, maybe it is time to rethink. And, And a sign of maturity is being able to change your position um, after cathartic experiences or Mm. after um, profound new insights or when new evidence is brought to your attention. And, And the global outpouring of respect and affection for the Queen that we've seen over the last few days is powerful evidence, very powerful field evidence of the strengths of a monarchical system of government, which I believe we would we would change at our peril mm. and be diminished if we were to change. Mm. No, thank you, Tony. That's a very, um, I think, a very welcome perspective um, that you offer. Uh, I just wanted to, as we close out our, our conversation today, um, you mentioned in your article for The Australian uh, published over the weekend that you, my understanding is that you had personal contact with the Queen on, on one occasion 
as uh, opposition leader in 2011 on her 16th and final visit um, to Australia. Uh, I'd just be interested, Tony, on on the impressions that you had based on your personal interaction with the Queen and and if you could leave us with um, that that personal uh, perspective and and what you learned from your own personal encounter uh, with the Queen. Well, I had a few very brief encounters with her in other contexts. I was part of a receiving line a couple of times uh, as a minister in the Howard government. Uh, Back in my days as a student at Oxford, uh, uh, the Queen attended the uh, celebrations of the 80th anniversary of the Rhodes Scholarships. So uh, I had a very, very brief interaction with her there. Uh, But yes, I was lucky enough to have a, a, a long talk with her as opposition leader in 2011. And without going into details or um, without, I hope, breaching any confidences, I found her a remarkable person. Mm. Uh, To be in her presence was quite uplifting uh, because I was very conscious of the fact that he was someone who had seen so much, Mm. had met so many people, had done... Had, had, I suppose, visited so many places and had been forced to reflect on so much over over her time uh, as sovereign, um, it, it, it really did give her quite an aura. And the conversation that we had uh, was, uh, it wasn't just polite chit-chat. We talked about some rather important and pressing social issues. Mm. And without in any way being jarring or discordant, or strident, the Queen made some very strong points. Uh, but I guess such is the nature of uh, of, of the conversations between uh, a sovereign and a subject uh, that uh, I guess the spirit of it was different. Uh, and and as I said, I came away from that conversation confident that our sovereign was a person of deep insight. Uh, and, and strong views, but in no way partisan or, or, or party political. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt very much uh, uplifted by it and it was a wonderful honour and privilege to have had. No, wonderful, Tony. Thank you for sharing um, that story and providing us with your thoughts and, on in, and insights as to what has been a you know a remarkable 70 years and I think we're all hoping that uh, King Charles can can live up to the example and achievements of his of his mother, uh, which I'm sure he will. Early indications are that he's uh, fortunately going to put some of the more activist components of his uh, of his uh, his politics and his engagement in the public life uh, to one side. So I think that's a welcome um, development. So Tony, uh, just, just a couple of just a couple yeah, points, Dan, Dan. Before we go, um, please. You know, King Charles is not, as it were, coming to us. Uh, out of out of nowhere. I mean, uh, this is someone who has been very much in our public life uh, for uh, for forty or fifty years. Uh, he spent a time here in Australia in 1966 as a kind of a junior housemaster at Timbertop, and uh, he's really been quite well known to Australians mm. uh, ever since ever since then. And I just want to make two points. First some of those activist passions. Well, uh, I 
don't especially agree with uh, the things he said about about climate and emissions. But on the environment more generally, uh, he obviously has a passion uh, for for what's beautiful, uh, what's good, what's stylish, what's tasteful, and the way his charities uh, have done enormous work to preserve artisanship and craftsmanship uh, to keep alive um, uh, trades and qualifications that uh, might have passed out of out of our world but for the kind of attention that the Prince of Wales as he then was lavished on them um, this commitment to beauty I think is 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 no bad thing at all uh, in a world that can sometimes devalue that which has stood the test of time. The other point I want to make is that this incredibly long apprenticeship that he's had, I think is going to stand him in very good stead. Um, um, Charles has been brought up uh, for 73 years to the life he is now going to lead. And sure, at one level, um, he's got servants uh, and staff and palaces and all the rest of it, but it's an incredibly tough life. Uh, he never has a moment that's truly his own. Uh, he can't venture outside his front door without being constantly on display. Everything he says has got to be a model uh, of decency and everything he does has got to be uh, a study in diligence. Uh, this is a very, very tough life, but I am confident that he will turn out to be every inch his mother's son and will be uh, a wonderful and ultimately a popular monarch. Well, excellent, Tony. That's a wonderful note to end on. And can I just say on behalf of myself and our, our listeners, thank you so much for the time. We greatly appreciate your insights and, and assessment as always. And um, I'm looking forward to discussing uh I'm looking forward to our next discussion shortly. Thanks, Dan. This is a production of the Centre for the Australian Way of Life at the Institute of Public Affairs. To find out more, visit australia.ipa.org.au.